just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. If you have a medical question, please seek help from your primary care provider. Hi, everybody. I am Emma Claire. I am a registered dietitian and I kind of work in private practice. I do some contracting for other people, but mostly I work in something called behavioral nutrition, which is habits-based nutrition where you're looking for sustainability for the lifetime, no matter what your aesthetic goals are. That's interesting. I don't know many private practice dietitians, only actually a few now, I guess, but not in your field specifically. And that sounds very, very complex. Yeah, it's very interesting kind of because like, Mm -hmm. I don't have a cookie cutter plan. Every person who comes (laughs) to me is their own individual. So if they're like, I want to run a marathon, then I'm like, cool, we've got to, you know, work on like gaining endurance and stuff. But if they're like, I just want to like, not have to count, not have to think nothing. I just want easy things. And I'm like, okay, we will start wherever you are and build toward whatever that lifestyle looks like for you. So every call I go into, I have to kind of like wait for the client to tell me what they want. I can't go in with any preconceived notions. Right. And I guess that's probably the case with any type of like dietitian work though, right? Like every patient or client is so unique in a way, and they're all going to have their own preferences and dislikes and likes and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there are times where like, if it's like a specific type of like health coach or dietitian where they're focusing mostly on weight loss or performance or whatever, but I've purposely kept myself so broad so that like anyone can come no matter what like stage of life they're in and we can find something that works for them because it's definitely something that like changes as like your lifestyle changes and Mm kind of as you grow up right yeah it's good to have flexibility they can stay with the same provider that way no matter what's going on with their life which is amazing so how did you get into behavioral nutrition yeah so I've got actually a really complex nutrition background I stopped eating kind of uh like I kind of started a pattern of disordered eating when I was six years old, which is super, super young, Mm -hmm. but that's when it started for me. And then at seven, I was staying up at late at night to like work out, which is still kind of crazy. Like that's not like the normal thing. So by the time I got to college, I was like super injured because I'd hurt myself cheerleading, tired all the time, still not eating enough, still constantly trying to lose weight. And none of it was really working. I had originally wanted to be a doctor, but I was like, I don't want to spend like my whole life in school. And I always (laughs) liked food, which, you know, Mm -hmm. counterintuitive because I've been starving myself for a decade at this point. Um, So I found dietetics and the entire time I was in school, they're like, just like teaching you the numbers and the science. And like, they're telling you, well, you can work in a hospital or you can work in food service. But like, I was like, we're not really treating people like people, like Mm -hmm. it was very frustrating. So I went through the internship, which was kind of awful. You can only say very specific things. And I got out of that. And that was the first time I'd actually hired a dietitian to work with. And he was a macros coach. And I didn't love that either, but it did get me eating food. So that's, you know, we all have that like kind of come to Jesus moment when you've been starving yourself. Oh yeah. So it got me, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So it got me eating food, which is important. And then I realized like, I don't want to be that dietitian who's only focused on numbers, who's only Mm -hmm. focused on weight. Like there's got to be more to health than just these arbitrary numbers that aren't even really 
good numbers for most of the population. And so I started looking at like, okay, what builds up a lifestyle really? Like when we say the word lifestyle, a lot of people just think like movement, food, whatever, but there's so much like more to it than that. You got to think about like your family. You, you do have to think about like the movement, the food, the whatever, but like, if that's all you're doing, then it's kind of boring. Yeah. I also have a history of disordered eating. So I totally understand now I didn't start that young. Um, that's really young. That must've been hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting. And what's funny is, so I grew up in a military town. I lived in Virginia beach mm-hmm. and there's like seven military bases in driving distance. Um, and nine 11 happened six days before my sixth birthday. Oh, so geez. it was a very wild time here. And so not only do I distinctly remember that, but after 9-11, obviously a lot of my area deployed. So we were constantly doing these like support the military marches, but in September in Virginia, it's still like a hundred degrees. So these were outdoors. I went to a private, like fundamentalist school. So we were only allowed to wear skirts. Well, when it's that hot, you're of course going to end up with like heat burn on your thighs. Yeah. I just thought that was like the worst thing ever. And that's when I decided I needed to lose weight, but I was like already very skinny. Like I wasn't a big child, but it's something so small that can just trigger what's been a lifetime adventure. Yeah. 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 It doesn't take much sometimes. Like, I don't even know really what triggered mine. I I can't pinpoint it to one event, but it, yeah, it's it's definitely a journey, and I, even when you are recovered, essentially, you still struggle with aspects of it, especially like when you have body changes, for example, when you're pregnant. Um, those things are all, um, I guess, lifestyle factors that impact it. And same with having a family; it's like you're busy now, so you can't focus on your diet and and things like that. So it's. Uh, it's definitely, it definitely becomes more challenging at those times, but it's a journey. (laughs) It's a journey. And it's always interesting to talk to people who have like never experienced any like body Mm -hmm. problems. And I'm like, oh, I legitimately don't know what I look like. So I'm very happy. You're happy, but I look in a mirror and I don't recognize myself or in pictures. Yep. And I definitely noticed like pregnancy is probably one of the biggest triggers for adult women, obviously puberty is the largest of triggers, but pregnancy, because it's like you, theoretically, you were feeling hot when you got pregnant. For sure. um, So then like anytime you're gaining, you know, 20 to 40 pounds, depending on your pregnancy, that's like a very big change. And yes, you end up with a baby, but like, it's still your body that you're having to live in. Yeah, exactly. The, and when you have body dysmorphia, it's, even even weirder to go through that that experience so yeah it definitely comes with its challenges I actually found I managed through pregnancy pretty well but I know a lot of people struggle who don't even have histories of body dysmorphia or disordered eating and they almost come out the other end of it with those issues because of all the changes yeah I think especially for people who have been like slim their whole life which is you know great. This is not hating on them at all, but like, this is the first time they've really experienced that like major body change. And I think it's just like shocking and jarring. Plus all the hormones that your body has, it's just kind of like a, I don't know what to do. I've never had to do this before. Yeah. It's definitely like a roller coaster ride. That's for sure. Uh, So 
tell me a little bit about the diet cycle, the diet industry, and what your thoughts are on it, because there's so much stuff in the diet industry right now. And for years and years before this, like I actually remember writing a paper in my undergraduate degree on um, just like some advertising from old magazines and how they like in like basically could influence people to have disordered eating because of the way that they were written and portrayed. And this obviously continues to today. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the diet industry, if you think about it as a whole, and any industry is built to sell you things. So whatever they're selling you, they right now they're definitely going to want to keep selling you the next one. So when I think of big fads over the last as long as I've been alive. So like in the nineties and early aughts, I mean, it was basically anorexia that they were selling us. There's no better way to put it. And then, you know, we moved on and it was like, okay, well, like what about really restrictive diets? So like the 1200 calorie diet. And now we're like, wait, but that's like, that's how much a toddler needs. And then when I was in college and more of my internship, whole 30 exploded. Right. And now we're doing keto and IF and all of them, if you, they all cycle one to the next. So like, oh, that wasn't it. This must be the answer. Mm -hmm. But if they were the answer, like the professionals, the doctors, the dietitians, they would be promoting it. And we would have been promoting it because none of these are new information. Keto has been around for years and years and years because it's a medical nutrition therapy. Anytime you're trying to cut out a whole food mm-hmm. barring allergy or a food group, then like that's, unless you have something like metabolically wrong with you, then you're cutting out something that your body is designed to need. Like there are different metabolic processes and every single one kind of needs a different combination of the either macronutrients or like vitamins and minerals. So like a whole food diet, like including a little bit of everything is kind of what's best, but like that doesn't sell. Like that's not an attractive answer. The attractive answer is like, oh, just do this thing for 30 days and you yeah. never have to worry about it again. Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on like keto, for example? Cause that's like a really hot one right now that people are frying. As a dietitian, I have to admit there are like with kids with epilepsy, like that's what it's made for. But there are certain hormonal states like certain diabetics, it goes really well for Mm -hmm. certain people with like PCOS or like endometriosis, things that are like hormonally driven. Mm -hmm. It works great for, but for the average person, it's like very bad for your body. You're putting your body at a state of constant stress. And it's actually mimicking what happens to type one diabetics before they go into a coma. Right. Keto acidosis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like very bad. And like, when I worked in the hospital, we had people end up in the ICU, not from being in diabetic ketoacidosis, but from being too far into normal ketosis. Oh my God. So like, I personally, I don't recommend it. I don't think it's like sustainable for the average person because I personally couldn't never eat birthday cake again. And yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one. So if it's not sustainable, I don't think it's worth doing, especially like when it can harm your brain chemistry. It's bad for your muscles. It's bad for your body. Lots of risks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, just not worth it. And I don't think it's really healthy. Like 
if it's a diet that tells me that I can't eat fruit because fruit has too many carbs, but I can eat like the fat bombs that are like the cream cheese. Yeah. I've seen the pictures of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are we really looking for health? Are we looking for quick results? Because I just, it can't be health if that's the option we're picking. Unless again, you have an actual condition where you would need this diet. Right. Where it's like a prescribed diet kind of thing. And that seems like not very many diagnoses actually fit in that kind of window for that diet. Right. And what about zero carb? That's the other one that I always see. And I know that's just a fast track to drop weight and then put it on instantly because you're going to start eating carbs again. (laughs) Right. And like, there are so many things that are carbs that like people don't think are carbs. Yes. (laughs) Like, So are you really eating zero carbs? Probably not. Like unless you were eating plain chicken breast and like plain protein, maybe an avocado, like there's no way. Yeah. There's so many, like everything, almost everything is a carb. Like even things that are healthy for you can be carbs. Exactly. Exactly. And like carbs aren't inherently unhealthy either. Like your Mm -hmm. body is designed to run primarily on carbs. It's what fuels your metabolism. So when you take it away, you're kind of like taking away the fire that fuels it. And you're like, figure it out. And the body doesn't really like that. Yeah. People like doing that, I guess, because at the beginning you do lose weight because you're not consuming essentially energy and then you eventually put it back on. (laughs) Right. So things like glycogen and like all of your energy stores, they're stored in water. So you're not even really like losing fat, even though like you're using fat to fuel. Right. Which you're not really doing that either, but different story. <laughs> like you're losing the water. Like you lost the storage. Sure. You lost the carb storage, but you also lost the water it was storing. That's not, you didn't magically lose five, 10 pounds of fat in a week. Any other fad diets that are like really that you see a lot of or have seen like bad results from like dangerous or anything like that? I see a lot of in um, yeah, interesting results from uh, intermittent fasting because mm. theoretically it can be very good. I've got uh, uh, like healthcare providers who are working like the 12 hour overnight shifts or any 12 hour shift. Like sometimes they don't have time to eat while they're there, which makes sense. Like there are people it's really good candidates for because it's easier to just fast. But like, it's also, I've seen it used a lot as a cover for disordered eating. So like a 24 hour fast, that's like an anorexic dream. And then you get to binge and be like, oh, it's fine because I didn't eat yesterday. (laughs) And when you look at the science, you get the fasting benefits, like what everybody says, like, oh, when you fast, you get blah, 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 blah. You get those from eight hours of fasting, which is the recommended amount of sleep. So theoretically, like a 16-8, so 16 hours of eating, eight hours of fasting, it's just a normal eating schedule. Yeah, it's just a normal day, right? (laughs) But I guess people schedule it more specifically with IF. I've definitely read some studies that do show like minor potential benefits from it but it again it seems like one of those things where very few people would be good candidates for it but shift work is a great example because they're living that lifestyle anyway so they're kind of just going to do it regardless right right and it's one of those things where like is this something you can do forever because 
if you're a whatever you only eat four hours a day but your friend has her birthday brunch and it's not in your eating window are you just going to go and awkwardly not eat <laughs> or are you going to skip it because you can't eat so it's another one where it's like i'll implement it if it makes sense for the lifestyle of my client but it's not something i recommend on the whole right right yeah that makes sense i guess that would be pretty much the case with any diet is there any type of diet that you do recommend often what is the answer if people are in this situation then they're looking to make changes the first thing to do is kind of figure out what you are eating um i had a client come to me and she was like i don't really no, but I've noticed I'm snacking a lot at night. So what I had her do is just like, don't change anything at first. Just like record what you're eating. I said, you don't have to put it in my fitness pal, but just like write it down, send me pictures, do something. And then we just made some minor edits. Like instead of eating like Cheez-Its or whatever, she started doing like popcorn and fruit. Right. Technically still like, like we said, carbs aren't inherently bad. So like all of that is still carbs, but like she was ended up eating less because there was more volume of the popcorn right? and the fruit had fiber. So she was full for longer beyond things like allergies, because so like celiac patients, I obviously recommend a gluten-free diet, but if you want to be vegetarian or vegan, that's a fine diet. But for my average person, I look at like what type of food they like, and then we start adding it to make it more balanced all around. So whether it be okay, can we pick, uh, fit in some whole grains in this diet? Can we add extra servings of fruit and vegetables? If you're not eating breakfast, can we add in a snack when you wake up? So there's not one specific answer for like the mm -hmm. best diet. The best diet is the one you can stick to. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever, whatever actually works for you is probably the best thing. That's, I think that's a hard thing for people to understand though, uh, or it's not the answer they want to hear basically because, because uh, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to make those changes. I think it is, it is. And it's like no diet change is really going to be an overnight adventure. Like if you're eating out for every meal and like you want to start cooking at home, you're not going to go from eating out for every meal to, to cooking every meal at home. Yeah. Or doing like a full meal prep. That's just, that's not how we work. You have to like, you know, make a small change. Maybe if it's even like, okay, we're going to make a salad to add on to our dinner at home or whatever. Like it's not, you don't wake up and suddenly become a new person. No, but I think people try to do that. And that's often where we see like the uh, loss of hope that they are able to make changes. Cause they're like, oh, I tried doing that. It didn't work, but it's too many things at one time. I think. Yeah. And that kind of feeds into what we call uh, the restriction binge guilt cycle. So like you wake up, you try and change all these things, restrict whatever it is for you until you've had a really rough day and then you eat all of the right. things or drink all of the things, whatever it is, or even just like allow yourself some ice cream because it's Friday <laughs> and then yeah. you kind of have a breakdown and you're like, okay, I have to restrict more, but eventually like you can't. <laughs> And the more you do it, the more you go up and down on the scale, like the harder it is for your body to recoup every time. Right. I guess every time you kind of like indulge, then you restrict, but then you end up indulging more again because you've been restricting so much. So it's, yeah, I guess it is really a terrible cycle to be in. So most of my listeners are moms and I think 
postpartum is actually a really hard time for like things like being concerned about your weight and what you're eating because you're busy with a new baby for the first little bit and then you're busy with a child after that so um it can be challenging from experience to find one find time to eat is one part of it and then by the time you do eat you're starving or two find things that are quick and easy to make for you um that you can eat if you're breastfeeding like with one hand or if you have a toddler that you can both eat that's like acceptable for you both to eat kind of thing so and there's a lot of pressure too to like snap back to your before baby body which I don't really believe in because I think regardless even if you look amazing postpartum it's a you're in a different like it's your body but it's different it's changed because you've now had a child and and like physiologically things have now changed inside of you so there is like a difference afterwards so I don't think snap back is a really good way to like approach it so do you have any like advice guidance thoughts on that yeah, I guess let's start with the snapback, which is not a term I love either, but it's everywhere. You know, anytime a famous person has a baby, the f- as soon as like we're done being excited about the baby, we immediately <laughs> start talking about the mom's body, which is insane. And what I don't think everyone thinks about is like they see these celebrity and at this point also royal moms. But- I was going to say Kate Middleton. <laughs> yes, yes. She's so like always see- the target of that. We see these people, but like those people have an entire staff. They have people who do the cleaning for them. They have people who do the cooking for them and the shopping. And like, they have people to help with the baby and they have personal trainers that can work whenever they want because they can pay them whatever, you know, they have chefs and whatnot to prep meals for them. Like they're not, I'm not saying they're not doing any work because motherhood is always a job, but they're doing significantly less work because they're not like they're running their household but they're telling people to do things so always keep that in perspective and the other thing is is like it took 40 weeks give or take to grow an entire baby so you can't undo 40 weeks of work in two Mm -hmm. days or 10 weeks or whatever it's going to take your body time to not only heal because it went through a rather traumatic experience birth is not untraumatic Mm -hmm. But it also like, it's, it's changed. Like you might look better than you did before through pure luck, more or less genetic (laughs) luck, but it's going to take time for your body to just revert. The most important thing during that time is really like making sure you're fed and making sure your baby is fed. Mm -hmm. That's, that's your job right then. Take care of baby stay alive. Yeah, exactly. And there are things you can do obviously to help lose weight. One of them is breastfeeding. Um, not always possible for some people. It's just, it's just a fact of life. So if you're not, don't think, well, I can't lose this weight because I'm not breastfeeding. There's no shame in formula feeding. In fact, I was formula fed, so I'm a big proponent of it. Yes. Formula feeding, breastfeeding, it doesn't matter. No, fed is best. That is my standpoint on it. If you have the energy, you know, throw the baby in a stroller or wear it, go on a walk around the block. It doesn't have to be far. Any movement you're doing technically burns calories. Mm -hmm. 
I know everybody says sleep when the baby sleeps, which isn't always practical because when are you supposed to do things then? Yeah, but, but like <laughs> your body does recover when it's sleeping. And like right. it takes at least six months for your body to heal from birth, sometimes longer, which isn't a fact that's commonly known. No. So like there's so much healing, like internal healing, your organs have to shift back into place. Your uterus literally has to shrink back down. Plus you're producing milk, maybe. So there's just so many things your body is doing that it legitimately needs more rest. Yeah. And if you're, if, well, it's all the hormones and stuff too. If you're breastfeeding, that could be a year to two years and beyond that you have all these hormone changes still ongoing. Right. So it's yeah. Sleep when the baby sleeps is a hard one to achieve, but you're also losing sleep at night. So some days it is good to try and capitalize on a nap time and, and get that sleep in. Exactly, exactly. And there are some benefits of getting your baby on a schedule, which I know it's like easier said than done. And of course, everything about motherhood is easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Um, because a baby's going to do what it wants to do. For example, exactly. I did not sleep at night. <laughs> um, to this day, my mother tells stories about just giving oh, no. me to my grandparents because they were also basically nocturnal. There's not a great answer to the snapback. A lot of it is just keeping into perspective that, that your body is different now because it has, it has gone through like a fundamental change mm -hmm. and it might go back to something similar, but like look at what you did. Like you brought an entire life into being, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's best to try and keep into perspective when we see celebrities look suddenly amazing in 15 days. One, that's Photoshop. And two, they have an entire team of people doing that for them. Yeah, exactly. It's such a different, they have way more support than most postpartum women have. That's for sure. Like we don't get access to that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like, if possible, capitalize on your partner if they're involved you mm -hmm. know they're also a parent so yes. they can like watch the baby for 20 to 30 minutes if you need to like one shower two eat a full meal three go on a walk like whatever type of movement your body is currently able to do you're not gonna probably be able to do the exact same things because like we just said like birth is traumatic yeah. you're gonna get back there probably but it's gonna take your body a little bit of time yeah, and everyone seems to be different with that, depending on your birth experience. The time for someone might be six weeks when they get the okay from their doctor, but for some people, it might be six months. Like, re realistically, like, depending on your your experience and what type of birth you had and the recovery and any complications, it can be longer, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I think people put too much pressure on themselves and forget that like all of this has to heal to, you know, move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing, you know, it's just like something society has made up and yeah, just like we were talking about, like when we were kids growing up, like those are still societal pressures. That's just now a new pressure as opposed to the ones where you to. I'll also say definitely get some mom friends because nobody's going to get it better than other people who are living through it. And if your partner says something mean to you, like that's something to address immediately because that's not cool. Like it takes two people to make a baby as we all know. So like you didn't suddenly decide to have this do it. Like it, it's, you didn't cause it by yourself, you know? So if they expect you to suddenly look different, just remind them that you just spent 40 weeks 
making a child and it took their help for your body to do all of that. Yeah, that's that's a good good point. That's a good point. And it you need their help after too. So it's good to have a supportive, trusting relationship with them and make sure that uh, they're supportive of you and what you're going through. For sure. And like talk about expectation expectations and all of this like before you have the baby. I know it might be too late for some of your <laughs> listeners, but like if anybody's listening and you haven't had the baby yet, definitely talk about these things now before you even start trying because like that person's going to be your partner in this for at least the next 18 years, but hopefully the rest of your life. In terms of the breast, you mentioned breastfeeding and weight loss. So like, is there significant data behind breastfeeding and weight loss? Like that is actually something that helps people lose weight after pregnancy? So yes, it, for the most part, will you burn a crazy amount of calories just producing milk because you're producing nutrition for an entirely another human really. Mm -hmm. So it will help lose weight. And it also produces, uh, like when you're looking at your baby wallet breastfeeds, it helps produce hormones that will literally help your like uterus shrink back down, which is why some women right. experience cramping while they're breastfeeding. It's literally their uterus like tightening back up, which is one of the craziest facts I learned while I was like studying <laughs> uh, dietetics. And it's definitely stuck with me. <laughs> so yes, but formula feeding moms, like it's not the end all be all mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. weight loss. The same weight loss that applies to a non child having person still applies to you. It might take you a little longer than somebody who's breastfeeding, but not necessarily significantly, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it would also depend on, I guess, each individual person's like metabolism and stuff as well. Like some formula feeding moms may lose the weight faster than breastfeeding dependent on individual circumstances. Exactly. Exactly. So I know like that people who are like breastfeeding only always love to throw that in as like an aside and it is technically science backed. So mm -hmm. it's not, not a fact. It's just like not the best one in my opinion Yeah, because the body is just so complex. It's hard to throw out like generalizations like that. Like I said, it's going to like, everybody's different. It's going to depend on movement. It's going to depend on just like kind of how traumatic your birth was, your hormone levels, everything like that. It's not going to necessarily be the same for every single person. So it's like multifactorial. So, cause I've heard some women say that they actually, they breastfeed, for example, and they don't lose, like they have trouble losing the weight, but it could be one of various other things influencing that, I guess. Yeah. And it could even be like how many times they like been, they've been pregnant and had babies. So like, right. if you'll notice a lot of second time moms, the set, like, they'll be like, Oh, I wasn't even showing at like, let's say 16 weeks, but with their second one, they're like, no, I already have a bump. My body yeah. <laughs> it's like growing quicker. And I don't know what's happening. It's like, cause your body already knows what it's doing. Right. So, so in, can that make weight loss after harder or would it make it easier because your body has done it before? <laughs> so it depends. So when we think about humans in general, the more times you gain and lose weight, the harder it becomes to lose weight because your body right. like doesn't like it. <laughs> like your body kind of wants to get back to its like set 
point, but it also wants like to make sure you're safe and like, okay. And like it's healing. And it also wants like to keep your baby alive. So it like wants to make sure you have enough nutrients to keep both you alive and like the child alive. So there's actually like a specific, like a certain number of calories you have to be eating to even be able to produce breast milk. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, you do have to eat a little bit extra when you're breastfeeding from what I understand. And I think that amount is more if you're breastfeeding multiples like twins or anything. Yes. Since you need to produce double the amount of milk essentially. Yeah. The more people you're feeding, the more you have to feed yourself. Yeah. So for multiples or if like you have a toddler, you're still breastfeeding. Right. And, and then you get pregnant or something and you actually might have to, because usually they recommend like in first trimester, they say not to increase the amount that you're eating yet because you're, you're not at that point really. Um, but right. then I guess if you're breastfeeding a toddler and you become pregnant, you would potentially you would have ma- to. Yeah. So you would maintain the elevated number you are already at if that makes right. sense so your first trimester you, this is theoretically in a normal pregnancy mm-hmm. your first trimester yeah. you need like the exact same number of calories you needed when you weren't pregnant and then the second trimester you need about 200 like 100 to 200 more and right. then the third it's 200 to 300 more which isn't a lot no but it's, you know it's not like as much as you're expecting and then with multiples obviously that number changes does it change in pregnancy as well or is it the same like the caloric increase for trimesters is it the same for if you're carrying multiples as if you're carrying a singleton okay so it would always be 200 to 300 in the third trimester regardless of how many babies you have no 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 you would need more calories oh, okay you would more babies okay um, I don't have those numbers off the top of my no head no because... I just wondered because like I knew that afterwards you would have to increase it but I was like I never really thought about pregnancy they must be extra hungry yeah, <laughs> yeah they're definitely because you know you're not growing one eight pound baby you're growing Two, two five pounds or two, yeah five yeah. to eight ish yeah it depends like, on the mom and the babies for sure exactly and how much like space they have and everything so you still like need enough to feed them and in fact their caloric needs and everything change a little bit because very rarely do those babies go all the way up to like the 40 weeks yeah yeah it's usually yeah exactly usually people are um scheduled for a c-section before then or induced before then or whatever it may be so right first trimester um so many cravings aversions that kind of stuff it's a really challenging time like dietarily I guess because you're supposed to eat the same amount which for some people who have like severe nausea or hyperemesis that's pretty easy they're actually eating less than normal but then (laughs) there's the other side people who feel rather well and then you have all these cravings how do you balance that um okay so let's let's talk actually like both sides of that question so for the people who are like really nausea and having a hard time eating at all mm-hmm. eat when you feel your best and like eat what you can the biggest thing in those cases are you know make sure you're eating enough to survive it's very hard talk to your doctor a lot if you end up needing medication then get it mm-hmm. um it's, it's hard because like, you know, you always like are told, well, morning sickness is, it's just part of it, but it's not just the morning. It's sometimes all day, all day and all sickness, night. So yeah. like, yeah. So eat when you can and like 
my sister has a friend who could only eat like corn dogs. And if you can only eat <laughs> corn dogs, then guess what? I buy them in bulk. Um, yeah. Just, so like just eat is basically the yeah, messaging just, for that group of people. <laughs> just eat. And you know, if and that's another one of the things you're going to need the support of your partner if they're in the picture, because if they're eating a bunch of like smelly foods around you, then they can eat somewhere else. I mean, at that point, you eating or feeling okay is more important than them having whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> which is harsh, which is harsh. I gave you that, but like you get, you get kind of pregnancy points, I guess, for yeah, allowing exactly. that. And as far as cravings go, they're kind of unavoidable. They're kind they, as your hormones change, you're just going to crave things. I, I would literally never tell somebody like, no, you can never have one of your cravings. I don't even tell my non-pregnant clients that. So <laughs> yeah, like everyone has cravings. So it's exactly. Not- so it's like, do it within reason. So like if you're craving ice cream, well, you're not craving a pint of ice cream. You're craving some ice cream. So have a yeah. scoop, enjoy it and move on. If you're craving pizza you're not craving an entire pizza have a slice or two whatever enjoy it and move on so like it's kind of like I think of it as like treat your cravings how you would your cravings when you're just like PMSing I understand that they're like a lot stronger and everything but you don't have to eat the entire bag of whatever just eat a couple and it'll satisfy the craving you'll be like yeah yeah that's exactly what I wanted yeah yeah and then aversions sometimes I've read like on forums and stuff that women actually get aversions to like vegetables in the first trimester and sometimes that lasts longer than the first trimester for some people like these this is like a whole pregnancy thing personally in my first pregnancy my aversion was to like meat a lot of meats were really like off limits for me and it lasted pretty much till the end of my pregnancy um but I've heard people like it's vegetables or it's something like healthy it's never fruit everyone loves fruit while they're pregnant for whatever reason but vegetables and meat seem to be two things that people don't like so much so like is that fine like just don't eat them if you don't want to kind of thing or how do you get the nutrients basically that you need yeah so for meat you're gonna need you know iron protein yeah Yeah. so you're gonna be on an iron supplement that's fine I actually recommend those for pretty much all women so iron supplement and then stuff like chickpeas lentils tofu I think you can have while pregnant yeah I think um, so just I, I don't know if there's a limit on it because but I know yeah. lots of people who eat it like I eat it while yeah. I was pregnant and yeah I, I think it's fine I don't know if there's a limit either but definitely check on that one um you know you just look for the non-meat protein like you definitely basically. yeah yeah and it doesn't even have to be something like the like impossible burger or whatever it is, something yeah. that resembles meat. Like I am allergic to chicken and I eat more chickpeas than any human I know. <laughs> it's very, it's very similar in texture, but it doesn't taste like it's not meat. So, you know, yeah. Um. so you just kind of like source those things out and it's pretty easy to add them back in and sub them in where meat would be. As far as vegetables go, I mean, the biggest thing there would be vitamins, which if you're taking your prenatal and a multivitamin, you're still getting those Mm -hmm. and fiber. So I would just supplement with fruit. You should still be fine. I mean, fruit and vegetables are kind of equivalent, kind of. Interesting. So (laughs) 
somebody's going to get mad about that. Um, <laughs> so they're not fully equivalent, but they're of course. in a nutrition sense, they're kind of equivalent. So if yeah. you, like vegetables make you want to die or you vomit or whatever it is, then don't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> like eat fruit, whatever it is, have whatever fruit sounds good to you. I mean, I'm never going to tell somebody don't eat fruit. So yeah, yeah. that's how I would handle those specifically. And then, you know, obviously tell these things to your doctor, they're probably going to just be like, well, that's just part of pregnancy, but that way they know to like be making sure, like if you start getting like vitamin deficient or something like that's their job as your doctor, um, to make sure like you're nourished enough to continue to have the pregnancy. Right. And I guess like probably the main concern going into third trimester would be if you're not eating meat, just to make sure your iron intake is sufficient since, um, anemia and pregnancy is pretty common. So yeah. 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 I guess. Yeah. You just follow up with your doctor and bother them about it, but you're right. They'll probably just say that's part of pregnancy. That's definitely what my doctor would say if I told him that. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the, the real thing is like, if you can't eat one thing, there's definitely an equivalent substitution. You can't. Now, unfortunately, if you have both the meat and the vegetables, your diet's going to be really limited, Yeah, but <laughs> you can do it. You can. It's just, you're probably never going to want to eat those things again after you're done being pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. You'd probably get real tired of eating the same thing, but you have to do what you have to do. I guess sometimes uh, making substitutions is better than vomiting. So I, I mean, not sometimes all of the time. So that's definitely a good option for people who are struggling with those things. Cause I know people are like, they are like, what do I eat? Like, I don't want anything and I am craving this. Well, let yourself have some of your cravings, like you said, and, um, just don't eat the thing that you don't want to eat to substitute with something similar, which there's lots of stuff that can be, um, substituted for like meat products or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's definitely goes back to like, find what works for you. And if like you're mid pregnancy and you are just like hardcore struggling, find a dietitian and reach out to them. Most of us will be like, okay, like, yeah, we'll definitely answer some questions. We're not just going to be like, sorry, can't help. <laughs> have any like parting advice for any like people who either are looking for a diet to try or or to lose weight or anything like that like any words of wisdom my biggest diet advice for pretty much everybody is make sure you're drinking enough fluids and eat like more add more fruits and veggies to your diet that's it and then a little bit of movement every day, even if it's just walking around your house during like TV commercials adds up over time. Yeah. Yeah. Walking is yeah. undervalued, but greatly important. I think <laughs> it definitely is. It definitely is. Cause it doesn't like feel like you're doing a lot, No, but, but it adds up. It adds up. Exactly. Like if you wear exactly. a watch, you see it add up over time. Even if you just do like two walks a day and it's like around the block, still still adds up to something so exactly it kind of goes back to that like one percent better yeah 
theory. Like if you're doing 1% better than you were and you're consistently doing that by the end of the day or end of the year, that's still 365 1% better than right. last Right. That's a really good perspective. I like that. Makes me feel good about small changes. <laughs> that's kind of my specialty, small changes <laughs> over a long period of time to get sustainable results. So basically sustainable results are found over a long period of time, often quick results are usually not sustainable ones. Is that right? If, yeah. So if like you lost 30 pounds in three weeks, which is like very dangerous and unhealthy, please don't mm-hmm. do that. But like you didn't actually learn how to maintain that 30 pound loss. You learned how to get it off your body and probably be very tired and sick. Dangerous too for your body. Mm-hmm. Is there like a safe amount to lose like over time? Like what 30 pounds in three weeks seems extreme. Like that is that is very extreme. Yeah. (laughs) Um the generally safe recommendation is half a pound, two pounds per week. And then I personally don't recommend being in like a weight loss phase for longer than three months because your body will metabolically adapt to that lower caloric level. So it's actually better to like go back to maintenance for a few weeks right, and then to prime your cycle. body to go back down. Cause like if you put your body under kind of the stress, cause weight loss is stress on your body. If you keep it at a constant state of stress, eventually it says, I can't do this anymore. And you end up gaining weight rather than losing the weight. Right. Right. It's, it's also complex, but with some guidance from a dietitian, seems like it's possible for anyone to do within their circumstances and what they prefer and don't prefer. I will say no matter who you're working with, if they're not willing to work with like your goals and your lifestyle, they're probably not the person for you. Yeah. Last question for you, actually. What is your thoughts on like internet, uh, like nutrition coaches and that kind of stuff? Because, and I only bring this up because a lot of moms on Instagram get targeted by those people who have Instagram accounts and they're like oh you're a new mom and they message you and they're like hey how are you and they like try to be your friend for one day and then they're like do you want to join my weight loss slash nutrition program but they have no background in like dietetics or or nutrition for that matter they're just kind of like a person off the street who bought into this pyramid scheme or something like that so (laughs) Yes, the dreaded hey girl message. And like yeah. <laughs> one, those messages are so rude because they like they go to their pro your profile and they're basically saying, Hey, I see you've got that. So exactly. like exactly extra rude. Um, I don't support any MLM, they're predatory and mm-hmm. most of so they'll like always say they're science back, but they paid for that science. So like it's inherently flawed. Um, most of the products in like the weight loss shakes and whatever, it's an appetite suppressant and a stimulant. So like it's caffeine and turning off your uh, appetite, basically senses. And that's just like not good. (laughs) In general, it's not good. And even what they're using, it's only been shown to like have a one to 3% kind like effectiveness rate. So like- Which is really low. So low. So don't buy into the MLMs is part (laughs) one of that message. But part two- 
like, as we've been talking about for this entire time, like nutrition is so complex. So I personally am of the opinion to get your advice from a professional, mm-hmm. which isn't super even a doctor in this case, because they no. take no <laughs> nutrition classes in their entire schooling. So find a dietitian. We are everywhere. Um, I am one if you need, like, even if you're not a great fit for what I do, I have a huge referral net, uh, network from how long I've been coaching. Um, there are certified nutritionists. Nutritionist is not a like regulated term. So like yes. literally anybody can call themselves a nutritionist, but there are certain like certifications. So check mm-hmm. to see if they're that, if you don't want to work with a dietitian, totally okay. But as far as health coaching goes, I would make sure they're like certified through somebody. It means they got an education in it and it means yeah. they know what they're doing. And your personal trainer, if you have one, unless they have that nutrition certificate is not, not one of those people. Yes. Cause I, that's the other thing that I see a lot of is a lot of personal trainers giving dietary recommendations without certification. And that's stepping outside your scope of practice so hard. Yeah. yeah. So. so I always say a dietitian and it's not just because I'm a dietitian. It's because I went through the schooling. So like, I understand what we have to do and we have to keep continuing education credits and everything. So like we are technically the gold standard for nutrition, but Mm -hmm. if you don't want to see a dietitian or for whatever reason, then an actual certified nutritionist who has been certified by one of like, there's like five or six schools, then a nutritionist is fine. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a nutritionist write um, a blog post on my blog before, and she is certified as well. And we did talk about the difference between kind of a registered dietitian, a certified nutritionist, and other, like the people who claim they know things about uh, dietary stuff and they don't actually know. (laughs) So Yeah, yeah. The barrier to dietetics is pretty high. And so I understand why people go like the certified nutritionist route, but it's like, it's different. It's a, different. yeah, it's a hard line because yeah. anybody can be a nutritionist technically. So mm-hmm. your best bet is a dietitian, which I have lots of friends who are like nutritionists, not dietitians. And I refer people to them, but I know they're certified and I know how they practice. So it's, it's harder to be sure what you're getting when somebody didn't have to get a degree at over 1200 hours of supervised practice. Exactly. Board exam. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when it comes to health coaching, there are like good programs for health coaching as well. Does that mean they can give you opinions on nutrition? Not really. That's not what their like scope is. Um, Unless they're also a registered dietitian who is a health coach, then they can do that. Or like a, like, it's the same as like a registered nurse as a health coach can give certain like additional education as well, like health teaching that, a health coach wouldn't be able to give. Um, so there are like legitimate programs for it that are good. And, and it's a real role. Like it does have its value, but there's a lot of people online who are parading as health coaches who really have no background and they kind of just like take a little bit of every other profession and put it into health coaching. And that just makes me super nervous for people who kind of follow their guidance. <laughs> yes. Yes. And just because somebody like looks healthy or like they're really in shape or whatever doesn't mean they're a professional in being healthy like exactly yeah (laughs) yeah the when I was the like most like in shape looking I was eating like 
900 calories a day. I was like the least healthy I've ever been. So oh, me too. I, yeah, it, no, that's exactly the same for me when I was the most like fit, I guess I wouldn't even say I was fit. I'd say I'm actually more fit now because I'm healthier overall. Um, and like, I take better care of myself, <laughs> but I guess from the ideal, like skinny, when I was really skinny and I looked like that, I, yeah, I was not healthy. I was not eating. I was eating like a can of tuna and crackers. And that was like exactly. my meal for the day, like, plus maybe like something at dinner. So right, the appearance right. can be so misleading. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. I also say, yeah. yeah. Verify credentials. Anything yes. that is a credentialed, it can be easily looked up by that like registering body. So like yes. if you look me up through the like uh, dietitian governing body, I am there as a listed registered dietitian nutritionist. So always verify because like you can, it's the internet, you can lie about anything. Exactly. No, that's so true. And you can look up everything online, like any registered profession is online. So whether that be your MD, um, because the college like of physicians, that's all online. Um, your registered nurse, your registered practice or like licensed practical nurse, um, anything like that. It's there. Your physiotherapist, whatever. You can look them Even up. Even your dentist. Yeah, exactly. Make sure that they're legitimate, especially if they're going to be touching your teeth, but also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also with everything else. So I will provide the links to your socials. Um, on the episode and or the episode description so everyone can access that if they have any additional questions or want to connect with you and that's it awesome thank yeah, you so much to reach out i love questions so If you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button. You can also check out our website at www.elephantinthewomb.ca and subscribe to the blog email list for blog and podcast updates.